to the Shining Mind podcast. I'm Dr. Selena Bartlett. I'm a neuroscientist and today I have quite a fantastic podcast for you. We're going to be exploring with Gemma Rivera, who will introduce herself in a second, the intersection between spirituality and neuroscience. And I think today (laughs) we're going to be more focused on the other side than on the neuroscience side, which we intend to always focus on. Thank you so much, Selena. It was a pleasant surprise. And um, I just wanted to say that I'm really passionate about being a holistic lifestyle specialist, and I specialize in wellness and love and transformation and spiritual and lifestyle rituals. That's what I'm really about, is empowering people on a day-to-day basis, what they can do um, based on these ancient rituals. Um, I love helping people discover who they truly are and I've also spent most of my life searching for my own true self and my own my own divine purpose and I feel that these ancient practices has really led me to to really honoring and and finding what those are that's amazing and uh, like we just shared some pretty cool stories that you have about I think we should just start in Bali that was pretty special <laughs> yes if yes. you're happy to share yeah. some of that um some of the deep learnings and help people like you've you've done a lot of study over a long period of time mm. mm-hmm. and I, have. I don't even know where to start to be honest, <laughs> but i think let's just start in bali because everyone likes everyone wants to go to bali yes that eat pray love it's so it's such a beautiful book um and i i have to say personally i have had my own experiences of eat, pray, love, basically, no in way. a sense, in, a, in, in, in Bali, in a way. Of, All the, you did the whole thing in Bali rather than Italy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But when it comes to the, the love aspect of it, it's coming back to self-love. It's truly what it was for me. Okay, you know. I see what you're saying. Eat is like the Ayurvedic studies that I immerse myself in with my yoga, Ayurveda and Tantra master. And, was that um, in India? In Bali, Bali. yeah, in the jungles of Bali, all in Bali. I have had other studies, but if we're talking about Bali, yes. So um, the eat is the Ayurvedic, um, uh, Ayurvedic lifestyle. We need to talk about that, so we can tell people what it means and what it is. Yes. Um, So let's start with okay, Bali. It happened in 2011. What led you there? What led me there was well, first of all, 2010. I actually travelled to Bali because I wanted to be involved with the Bali Spirit Festival. It's a very popular, world-renowned festival in the world where a lot of um, yoga teachers all around the world, um, prominent ones or ones who are invited to come to this festival and present workshops. And it's a place where people from all around the world could come and participate and just immerse themselves in yoga and spiritual practices. And wow. um, yeah, it's so stunning. I've actually got gooses just thinking about it. And it's a place where you uh, would imagine that every single person on the planet would want to be experiencing or being around a community of people who are just coming from the heart. It's such a heart-based um, community and a heart-based um, project that people are the, the founders of, of 
Bali Spirit Festival who wanted to create. Do so people get angry there if yeah. they're in big lines? <laughs> um, they don't get angry. They don't get angry in big lines. That's the most wonderful thing about it. They're just high on love and life. And I'm just imagining all these people. <laughs> yeah. They're not allowed to get mad at each other. <laughs> they're not allowed to get mad. But in the workshops, they, they are forced to look at themselves. There are some workshops that are definitely forced to look at themselves and allow themselves to bring up that angry side to themselves so it's a, a place of great transformation mm-hmm. and you also have the beautiful energy of Bali and its culture mm-hmm. as a container to hold everyone's um, transformation there and the space they're in about mm. the uh, energy there for sure yeah absolutely so 2010 I was there and it was towards the end of 2010 and uh basically met a lot of people and I was told about this amazing teacher and um, I had was actually seeking a teacher on Ayurveda and Ayurveda Master expl- Yoga. Do you mind um, explaining to the audience what that exactly is? Yes. my audience isn't like well, yes. me particularly. I shouldn't ex- talk about everyone else but me specifically I've been very buried in my own neuroscience lab yes. for a, a long time so okay. I want to learn what all of these things mean and yes traditions yeah so tantra is is not so much it's not so much considered a religion it's a philosophy of life similar to buddhism and so in india if we're talking about india it's um it's fascinating because there are some teachings to say that uh, uh that um hinduism basically came before tantra but or before uh, Buddhism. But then there are some teachings that say that Tantra came before Buddhism and before Hinduism. Oh, I'm and glad there's arguments in every yes, single religion that exists on the planet. <laughs> That's right. And so there are lineages where, in, even in Buddhism, there's you know different lineages. It'd be t- uh, Tantra Buddhism, you know, or there's a Buddhism, it's Mahayana Buddhism is very much based on Tantra traditions, or there's Theravada Buddhism, which is completely uh, different again, have slightly you different. Have about all of these different things? Not in depth, no. but uh, I have You've studied. You've been given the map. I've been given the map, and I also delved into the Buddhist uh, Theravada system, and I learned some uh, meditations, and I immersed in silent silent retreats for, for 30 days. Okay. Um, the first one was for 30 days. How yes. did that go? It was the most difficult time of my life in terms of what was going on, but it was also the most di- one of the most difficult things that I've embarked on at the age of, uh, God, this was back in 1998. I did this back in 1990. Yeah, it was 1998 when I did the third. No, pardon me. I, I embarked on it in 1995 because I had just finished, uh, I was a professional dancer and a professional actress and I was in the a professional Australian production of South Pacific Musical and I played Liat and after we toured it in Thailand I decided to not go back to Australia but actually stay in Thailand and I felt a pull I felt a pull and I'd um, just come out of a five-year relationship and uh, I basically met my dad for the first time I needed to just sit and quieten myself down and really process how I was feeling about everything that was happening in my life. So I 
decided to just stay in. Uh, That's where a big was call, I? Thirty days island yeah, retreat in Chiang Mai. is the first thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh, in Chiang Mai, you just go straight in. I do. I'm, I have this no, personality. This no, da- I just dive in deep. I have a personality of like, no, I'm not going in it half measured. I'm going in there deep. And because um, I listened to Tim Ferriss podcast where uh-huh. he did a silent retreat and he really fell apart about day seven or so. Yes, there are specific times of your experience of where you. They say that we can expand 10%. So we expand 10% of our of our capacity to deal with things. And so it's like if uh, there are five-day retreats, 10-day retreats, and 30-day retreats. So they really do encourage people who come and participate to at least stay there for three days because it takes three days to actually peel the onion, is to actually unlayer. And then what I've noticed in the 30 days was there was a three-day mark. And yes, there was the seven-day mark. And then you go, oh, on 10th day, I could leave if I want to. But no, it's like, no, I've come this far. I'm going to continue. Then there's that 10-day mark, 15-day mark, and so forth. So, so you didn't talk to anyone for 30 days? No, you weren't allowed to talk. It yeah. was um, a silent retreat where you were also – it was. Um, you weren't allowed to talk and in the last three days of the practice you weren't allowed to leave your room and the food was only delivered to you by the monk uh, by the nuns actually we were segregated so the women stayed in the women's um, dormitories and the men in the, in the men's dormitories and so um, a nun would come to my room in so the were last you in three a days or were they in Buddhist, a Buddhist monastery yeah now, you where, had to where, wear where white it was in Chiang Mai it's in a place called Wat Lampeng Monastery, and that's one of the very few monasteries in Thailand where they accept foreigners to come and participate in the program. And uh, so for the last three days of the 30 days, you weren't allowed to leave your room, and uh, you had to just continuously meditate. You do start with having to complete I think it was six or seven hours of meditation for your first few days. Um, You are designated a specific time of the day each day to see the head monk and they will monitor uh, how you are, how you are progressing. And what was fascinating is that he hardly spoke English, hardly. And so what happens with that is I experienced it as well as you don't need words. You don't need language because when you... When you can um, still the noise, the monkey mind is what we call it, the busy mind, you, you still that and then you can basically drop into that moment of presence where you can, you can be in every single uh, senses of your being. Because what I can recall is that it was day 15 and my visa was running out and I had to leave the monastery I had to leave for several hours, basically, to go to the Australian consulate. And so I was allowed to leave. And even after 15 days, and I took a tuk-tuk, which was one of those little bicycle, you know, carried uh, transportation. It was fascinating because I had been in silence for quite a while, chanting during the day, meditating with the monks and the nuns, and doing walking meditation, so I was slowing myself down. And basically, I went out, and I could hear 
conversations that were so far from where I was. I would sit waiting in the waiting room at the consulate. The windows were all closed, but I could so hear the movement of the leaves. Then I could also hear the conversations of a couple that were sitting quite far from me and they were whispering. You could hardly hear them, but my senses were so attuned and heightened and uh, it was phenomenal. So I came out of so it. So that gave you the impetus to keep going? <laughs> gave me the impetus to keep going. And in the three days of silence sitting in my room where what I was saying and leading to is that you start with six hours or seven hours, then he progresses you and say, now you have to complete nine hours, now you have to complete 12 hours and so forth, until basically you get to um, your 28th day, um, last three days, 28th to the 30th day, it was known as the non-sleeping period where you had to meditate 24 hours and so I, I do recall that I noticed myself I would sit there and I'd meditate when there were moments where I'd woken myself up I'd wake up and I'd find my my elbows on the ground and my hands just supporting my chin and my head and I go oh my god I've woken up but it's um but what happens is that what I really noticed too during this period and throughout is that our own fears and what we've been storing in our subconscious mind comes to the surface. And in in this tradition, we call it samskaras. And samskaras are what we've sort of um, perhaps been burying in deep in our subconscious and unconscious mind, whether it's now these fears or are they fears that have been stemmed from previous lives that you've brought with you. So you get, they, 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 it's like a movie. It's like, my gosh, you know, I'm watching this story unfold in my mind. And, and then. Can you, like, be specific on anything that you remember oh, in that movie? Like, just. I know I have journals curiosity. and I've written them some down. Um, I can't think of one yeah. right now, but what, what, what is coming up is like I can see a bridge and water and I can see the back of a woman and she, you know. Um, and sometimes you have to go with, okay, if I don't understand, what's the feeling that's coming up mm -hmm. for me right now as I see these images? So it's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the a lot of these emotions that we have um, all stem from fear, really. Yes. Well, this something. is where I can interject a little bit of neuroscience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just what we're kind of learning now. And um, there's a lot of things we don't understand. But what we do, we do understand more and more now is that you can actually inherit um, through yes. microRNAs, multi-generational, you know, sounds and smells. And probably uh, we definitely know for obesity that you've inherited the way you think about food and et cetera, and it's in the microRNAs, it looks like. Wow. Um, but it's still very early days. That paper was only published this year. But um, going back even further, like from stardust came bacteria first. And so we also have bacteria and we're modeled after bacteria. Mm. And bacteria, what was their main job was just to sense their environment. So mm. they're all about feelings. Mm. And so Antonia Damasio's work talks a lot about that and feelings came before thought. And so that goes back, you know, like billions of years ago. Mm. So, yeah. <clears throat> I love all that. It's so fascinating. I, I do too. And it makes so much sense to me. So when you get to this fear concept yeah. in terms of brain wiring mm -hmm. and why it's so strong for most people mm -hmm. and why we act out on that is because um, the main job is just to stay alive. 
Mm. The brain's job is just to keep you reproducing and keeping you going. Yes. And so that part of the brain's been hardwired from way back in the day where it's yeah. all about surviving. Yes. And so we tend to, in my view, put too much emphasis on stuff that can be changed mm. but becomes so big in the brain that people end up living their life in that fear, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, which is why I think coming together is so powerful. Yeah. Because I found, interestingly, too, that the like the Buddhist teachings were also derived from the Buddha's mother dying when he was very young and, mm. and him developing all these teachings to get through his grief yes. too. So his came, a lot of the teachings have all come out of suffering, right? Yes, so that's, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is what you see, right, with people mm, too, right? And the majority is people. suffering, not just stretching their bodies. That's <laughs> right. And, and also I have to come back to, okay, why did I go into it? And, you know, what you teach is what you need the most, as they say, right? So yeah, I had to... you that direction? What you always me? that way because you're a dancer? I would probably say I have a strong um, aspect of my personality that is uh, someone who's curious and I grew up um, being Filipina. Um, I grew up with Roman Catholic um, traditions in my household, but I was also very intrigued about, okay, what else is there though, all right? So it's like I looked into Sufism, I looked into Buddhism, I looked into Taoism. So how old were you when you had that thought though? I was young. I, w- I was young because be, I, yeah, I mean, I already I didn't have that thought. I'm yeah. a very slow learner. <laughs> I, and I think maybe what you're saying too, having, um, for me, my background of being Filipino with Spanish, with Portuguese, with Chinese, with Indian, I, I feel that it's in my DNA and in my um, ancestral blood that that's come through for me, you know, that I, I can... Um, I can understand and, and, and grasp it and it seems natural and this yearning and wanting to go down this path is what I'm trying to say yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, as much as I love the physical aspect of what it provided me when I went into it as a dancer, but there was this deep longing of wanting to understand more because on a spiritual level and an emotional level because I came into it as a very nervous person, a very nervous child growing up. And were you a perfectionist? Or? And I was such a perfectionist. <laughs> and being a dancer too, I think also I was such a perfectionist. So did you start as in ballet? I not? started in um, jazz actually. Oh. Life that is in full communion with the universe is what Tantra is about. And there are specific, you know, parts of our body that has those elements. So what is above, so below is as they say. It's like if I talk about my physical self Um, when we talk about um, earth earth is basically my feet to and my legs to my lower part of my being to my coccyx this particular area is considered the earth um, body parts and then we go water water is relating to the sexual organs and um, uh, let me go back first so the the grounding is the is the teachings and the benefits and the gifts of the earth and when we come to the water which is governing the body part of the sexual organs and the lower back and the kidneys that's water right and so that's governing and uh, the gifts of that is governing the areas of creativity and um, the future and the future and childbearing and 
creative expression. And then if we go into the fire area, it's relating to the digestive system and we're going up, we're going from the earth up along the body, right? So then the fire is relating to your fire, digestive fire, as we talk about um, the metabolism of your of your uh, your natural um, ability to digest food and metabolize even your emotions you know and what um, life is handing out to you how can you digest that so it's fire in this area then we go up to the air which is relating to the heart and then around the chest area is also the lungs so it's relating to the air and the ability to breathe the ability to open yourself up to receiving what you can invite into your life, you know, and what you can also share. So the heart is relating to love, how you can give love and receive love. And then we move up to the throat and to the third eye and to the, 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 the crown, the third eye being between the eyebrows and then the crown, the top of the head, that's relating to, to ether. Um, well, the crown, and the, the crown and the third eye is relating to ether. The air is the heart mm-hmm. and the throat because that, that, ability to express yourself through your mouth is the using the air and to speak and to speak up up, exactly so all of this it's it's all related to it sounds similar to what i heard people called chakras chakras Chakras. yeah so or the energy centers as we call it so um so living a tantric lifestyle that came all in different ways from different people different practices different names but the same kind of concepts we we were well the the interesting thing is if we kind of label if we have labels and um like say chakras um what i've learned is that if i go into a class and i say chakras to people who have not studied yoga for very long it might turn them off or they don't study yoga at all it might turn them off and go oh it's too sort of new agey for me so they they can't you know they can't open themselves up to that so the word energy energy centers is more i would say inviting for people or a lay person who don't understand um, the spiritual aspects of these traditions but energy centers is like okay well you have you know you have a body and you have an energy um because this energy lives within you that keeps you alive so there are different parts of your body that has um doorways of energy and if we basically don't say for example look after the fire energy in our body let's just say um, that's in our digestive system then you're going to have poor digestion and you're going to have issues with your stomach you're going to maybe develop gallstones and different things so um, if there's an imbalance in these energy centers it will cause uh, specific ailments and dis-ease in your body you yeah. know, even with our mind and our emotions. So the Chinese, because uh, I've also chi- studied Qigong and have studied in China. I love, you know, similarly with Ayurveda and yoga too, but I'll touch on Ayurveda shortly. But what they say is that each organ is a field of intelligence. You know, actually um, the negative emotions that we feel can affect specific organs and the positive emotions also affect specific organs. So each organ has a positive and a negative emotion that affects it and therefore if they can if we continue to have negative emotions and also treat our body and not treat it with love and care it will actually develop these disease because the energy is imbalanced yeah. and we're talking about also if we kind of go more into the material side of it energy well let's say the blood so therefore the blood's not flowing well it's not you know clean blood 
you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think this relates to what I was talking earlier about um, him talking about, because we actually, the digestive system actually came first in evolution, mm-hmm. right? Cause yes. Because the, the whole bacteria have to chew up everything in their environment that they're sensing. Yes. And that's why he talks very much about that and how, the, why those feelings come first, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, the bacteria need to know that they've just engulfed a uh, toxin. Mm. And expel it mm. immediately, mm. right? That's and that's right. why there's this huge focus now on the microbiome, yes, and how it interacts with the brain, yes, and you know causes release or an inhibition of serotonin, which is the thing that makes you happy or sad. Yes. So the interplay um, is really, really strong. Yes. And it makes total sense to me that each organ has its own sensing system mm. and its own mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I think I, what I like about what you're talking about is that it's helping people keep their brain, their mind and their body all connected as one rather They're than separate. They're not separate at all. Exactly. That's what, I'm, what I love about this, these traditions and, and living a time. You know, I use the word tantra because it really focuses more on understanding that there are these elements that make up the universe and how it functions, and therefore it's also within us. So we we need to always remember that we're a part of the whole and how how can we, on a day-to-day basis, maintain this equilibrium and this beautiful synergy between mind, body, so soul. So can I just ask you, um, just mm. for the audience, like, can you describe what your tantra life looks like on a daily basis? <laughs> for example, yes. yes, for example. Like, okay, like just some of the routines or yeah, disciplines you might do that no one else would be thinking about, and how you relate to that from what you're teaching us. Yeah, uh, this also includes the traditions and the rituals of Ayurveda, and um, Ayurveda is the Indian medicine. Yeah. And Ayurvedic, and it's, this is also interesting, um, the Chinese medicine, the Chinese will say that they came before the Ayurvedic Indian medicine. And then, of course, it's the other way around when you talk to an Indian Ayurvedic doctor. <laughs> but both, as I understand, are basically six or 7,000 years of age. Um, they've been around for a very, very long time. They could have actually been developed together at the same they time because we all have good ideas at yeah. the same time. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And so my day would actually look like this. I would wake up and I would go and uh, go to my bathroom and I would use my copper tongue scraper and I would scrape my tongue and I would scrape the white coating off my tongue and in in Ayurveda we call it ama and it's toxins because during the night basically our organs are are detoxing and regenerating and so in the morning that white coating is basically going to be what your body is expelling and releasing so the the um, tongue scraper will take that off and if you don't have a tongue scraper if you wanted to do it now um, from here on basically um, you can get you know just a spoon and and just Um, copper copper as I understand it is basically um, also assisting somehow that that element of copper is also assisting the digestive system um i need it's to just a tradition it's just, just a tradition i mean you can get stainless steel ones and that's fine too um also if you experience that you've gone too far with the tongue scraper right to the very back of your throat and you start to gag that feels a little bit weird at first but do um, understand that it's actually a positive thing because it's stimulating the peristalsis and that's what's going to actually help you to to release 
your, you know, the first release of the day that you would normally have. Well, there's all this research now demonstrating that sleep, Mm -hmm. right, during sleep, you're talking about detoxification. Mm -hmm. So they've shown that they've just found the uh, lymphatic system in the brain. And basically, you can imagine how much activity and toxins are generated in the brain. Yes. Just from the thinking. That's right. During the day. And they've just discovered that it's tracking blood vessels. And so when you sleep is when you detoxify, mm-hmm. like your lymph nodes in your body. Yeah. The, this is what's happening in the brain during That's sleep. That's amazing. And Incredible. they've actually imaged that to mm-hmm. show that if you don't get seven hours of sleep a night, then you get an accumulation of you know plaques and tangles and right. things like that. Wow. But I had never this heard about amazing. the tongue scraping thing before. Yeah, that's the first thing that I, that I would do. And you learned that through your traditions? Uh, through the traditions and the teachings and, and immersing with my teacher difference? in Bali. Yeah. I, I definitely noticed the difference because also what, one thing is I've learned is that, you know, okay, the other tradition, um, the other ritual is to actually drink warm lemon water. Mm-hmm. And I would never drink anything unless I've actually scrape my tongue because otherwise I'll be just swallowing that toxins those toxins back into my system so it just makes a huge difference and if you so do, when do you do the warm lemon water? I actually do it as a third thing that I would do the second thing I would do first is I basically would have warm water boil up my, my kettle that. yeah is that to get rid of to clear out all of the bacteria and stuff in the water um, boiling the water it's more relating to the warmth of the water because one of the beautiful um, lessons of Ayurveda is warmth and, and uh, you want to keep your um, body warm because that element of air and ether is considered cold and if we basically don't have warm water immediately it's um, it's, this is really interesting because Mm -hmm. Ayurveda is such a big topic and what I'm trying to say is that um, let's just say uh, uh, an average person an average person's lifestyle is kind of maybe reaching for cold water, maybe eating um, ice, fruit ice and muesli water. in the morning. Yeah, ice water, um, um, ice juice, um, and it would be reaching milk. for cold milk, uh, reaching for cold milk in your muesli and your fruits. And there's nothing wrong yogurt. with that. Yeah, and yogurt. There's nothing wrong with it Smoothies. at all. But in yeah, in Ayurveda, they say that's great, but do it maybe from from basically morning tea and lunch because in the morning um, it's it's cold in the morning when you feel the temperatures of the day it's actually colder in the day the coldest part of the day is that sort of really early morning say you know between two and six and then it starts to warm up right from about 10 to 12 so what they're saying is that um, follow the temperatures of the day Follow the elements of the day you mean as well. So your energy can so suit the can same soothe, Yes. So if the energy of the day is fire and it's the it's the warmest part of the day, then you can eat your cold salads. And if you love raw food, then you can eat your raw foods in the middle of the day because also the fire element of your digestion is at its peak at that midday and you'll be able to metabolize and process those cold foods very easily so in the morning it's important to start with that warm water and that and helps the lemon, with metabolism is that to alkaline? and then the lemon afterwards research around yes, alkalinity of to system. alkalize the liver yeah 
definitely. So that's what I would do in the morning. And then I have porridge as my food or um, I would have soup in the morning. And What uh, type of soup? I make my own soup, actually. Um, if I don't have the vegetables, I would actually use chicken broth or vegetable broth. And um, and so I would add, uh, what I would do is I would actually saute first um, a little bit of garlic and then some leek and then saute some Brussels sprouts and then um, put a little bit of um, zucchini or squash. And then I would add the broth. And then it doesn't take long, like just, you know, less than five, six minutes. And then I would have that. If I don't have the vegetables, then I'll just do the broth straight. Um, and then the other, uh, that's breakfast. But what I do try to do first before breakfast, after those um, rituals of the drinks, uh, tongue scraping and the drinks, is I would oil my body. And I would oil it up with warm sesame oil. Sesame oil. Uh -huh. That's interesting because... I've just started thinking about this in depth because of um, eating disorders and other things that I've been talking to people with. And there's a, a doctor that has a hypothesis that people with eating disorders can't make their own cholesterol. Mm. And I started to think about the skin being a massive organ mm. and it will absorb. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's in sesame oil, but mm. I know for sure in avocado oil or castor oil or all of these other oils is a way of accessing that part of you you know being able to absorb those tra those um, trans fatty acids that are really good for you yeah and and they also say that it's it's um when you're oiling also there are several reasons when you're also oiling you are and leaving it on there for at least 10 minutes um, you do the whole body. You do the whole body. Including your face. Including my face. So I would start with my face and then I would then, uh, I do a bit of Just ritual. straight sesame oil or some it's particular. Warm. I, I would do sesame, uh, it's untoasted, not toasted, but pure untoasted sesame oil because what that's good for from my, the from the health food store. Yeah, and so um, Why because. Why you pick sesame oil? Because it's, it's most beneficial for my body type. So Ayurveda is such a big topic, oh, as I, I said. So, so they, told you to do because that. Ayurveda tells you that there are four different body types, and specific body types have um, specific elements that are more dominant in their system. So these elements that I'm talking about um, basically make up specific body types or body constitutions, and therefore there are specific foods and specific oils and specific practices that one should do each day to actually maintain that equilibrium of these energies in your body. Because if, say, the air and ether, and my body type is known as pitta vata, and pitta is fire water, and vata is air and ether, I don't have a lot of earth, as you can hear, which is, makes up kapha. Kapha is the other body type, and that's earth and water. I don't have much of earth at all, which means is that if I'm constantly busying myself and I have a lot of energy because of the fire, and I burn the candles on both ends, they keep, that creates the imbalance, and therefore I have to do the oiling. I have to be conscious of doing the oiling because that grounds me. And so there, uh, I would love to, this is like a whole, a whole, the uh, whole entire day to actually, so you, um, but it's but it is so, so beautiful that I, my favorite part 
of any of these rituals is is the tongue scraping it's important like if i don't so have just, 20 minutes to do it, it takes me 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day wow. um if i don't have time to do everything i would stick to the tongue scraping and the oiling so i do my face and then the other part of living a tantric life is basically honoring my body as a body temple and honoring and giving thanks to the universe the sun the moon everything that they provide for us humans on the planet and to mother earth and I would also then kiss my hand. And by kissing my hand, I'm actually saying, I love you. I'm honoring every part of you. And I accept you as you are. You are perfect as you are. I and think so, the other interesting thing about the oil, yeah. outside that grounding, I actually think it's a way for people to massage their skin. That's too. right. And, like, and people don't, they just kind of throw it yes. on. Yes. the taking that time it's besides being like a mindful that's attentive right. thing to do to there's actually the a whole mind. there's actually a whole a whole process and sequence to it yeah, you're so actually you're actually, you're actually massage the, the biggest organ on your body too. that's correct and but also what I'm saying is that when you go around your joints you're actually doing it 10 times you're rubbing your joints 10 times and then the longer part of your body the limbs the arms and the legs the, um, you're actually sweeping your hand three times up and down so there's a whole technique to it and what this system is or what this process is called is called abhyanga and abhyanga means to remove fear to remove fear and to remove stress. So what I'm doing is I'm preparing myself for the day. And I'm and then on a physical level, the oils that's being left on my body for at least five, ten minutes is basically gives it a chance to absorb into the seven layers of my tissues so it's nourishing but then me. it will also go to I, just knowing how the body is yeah. a homeostatic system yes i just it'll go to the places it needs to go to yes. and so I'm, I'm just thinking these are these are really highly valuable um tools mm. for people that are restricting their eating and mm -hmm. things like that that are starved of these nutrients and not loving themselves a lot, a lot of it's based in low self-esteem and stuff so yes i just think it would be fantastic um just going off um leanne's work to dr Barron's work who's a doctor here that helps people with anorexia um she has people eat castor oil and stuff mm -hmm. like that and um, because they can't make their own cholesterol which mm -hmm. then affects the brain because the brain needs a lot of cholesterol to signal mm -hmm. if you don't have that then the brain's going to be really fearful mm. right from a total neuroscience mm. perspective all the membranes are full mm. of cholesterol and these oils that you're talking about mm -hmm. so um i, I find that fascinating yeah, because so i i when i was studying dance here i uh, i basically was very uh, underweight I actually well, right? I, I had to be underweight for this an expectation for the course and I, I remember that some people some um, dancers were expelled because based on not meeting the requirements of their weight and uh, I was this an anorexic so you want to put this out this yeah this was 80s. in the 80s things have changed things somewhat. have changed so not hugely but somewhat that's right and so I put a lot of pressure on myself and um, and I've learned a lot thank goodness so you know, these practices definitely have helped me to not be so obsessed about my weight and my body image, but more focused on body love is what I call it. Yeah, yeah it's funny how this happens. <laughs> my previous podcasts um, have been with, uh, they've started the first residential facility in the Sunshine Coast for eating disorders and the government's oh. just committed $70 million to make these farms stay, mm. one in each state. 
and they have animals and veggie gardens and oh, instead of beautiful. the current although the current treatment some of it's okay but some of it's not so okay and it's not really working so I've just been thinking through strategies that would be different and I and it's just funny that you should mention that one because that's how I think it could potentially be working mm -hmm. and why not use your skin right mm -hmm. if you don't want to eat because you've got brings up fear or you know, yes. people are restricting eating for lots of reasons they're dealing with their trauma yes one thing I learned I didn't mean to go down this pathway but one thing I've learned is that people restrict their eating um, because it stops the bad memories mm. from now and past it this stops them in their tracks mm. when they're restricted their eating long enough yeah so that was interesting so we, I know that other people overeat a lot too to medicate trauma yes. we haven't talked about trauma but trauma is the same thing as suffering to me because it's been yes. over centuries yes. um, that we inherit and we don't even realize um, but anyway so that's really fascinating so mm. yeah, using strategies that are different and obviously we need to have an evidence base and test it all eventually yeah. but we just need to think of new ways because the old ways aren't working that's right uh, because we still have a huge amount of suffering and yes. people are still suffering yeah, I mean, yes. it's not like we've got rid of it all <laughs> yeah what's interesting about suffering for me is I wouldn't have I wouldn't be who I am and what I know and the journey I've been on and and where I am now um, if I didn't have suffering so well, it was a kind of like a catalyst for me to kind of go, okay. I know. I heard that argument by another couple. I was uh -huh. telling about the retreat I went on, and they believed that um, suffering is part of spiritual evolution mm -hmm. and that you shouldn't interfere with people's suffering. But somehow I don't buy 100% of that argument. Mm -hmm. um, this is where I disagree because the suffering is not brought on by yourself most of the time. It's It's lack of education and knowledge from people not realizing that what they're doing to someone is going to change their whole brain development mm -hmm. and cause mental health problems later oh, it's just yeah. a lack of it's like breastfeeding versus bottle feeding yes you know and mm -hmm. it's like people just haven't been taught that yet so i think that that to me is just the next evolution of knowledge and mm -hmm. education mm -hmm. that's kind of where i'd like to see mm -hmm. some of that go and yes i agree that you can't interfere with people's lives but i still think you shouldn't have to let people go through sometimes death to yes. realize that that was not okay yeah you know yeah so absolutely it's such a complicated subject and i don't have any answers here of course yeah but i think about this all the time yeah because i see so much suffering yes because you know kids in child in um, foster care and residential yes. care and I, I totally agree no, with you. They um, have no parents and no one yeah. cares for them really. And the state is responsible, but they at kind of at a wit's end as to what to do all the time. Yes. Um, so that is suffering, you know, and some of them might make a great transition to some spiritual evolution, but a lot of them are just lost and end up in yes. juvenile detention and drugs and things like yes. that. So this is where I get caught up in not knowing what yes to think about that <laughs> yeah I understand yeah um meditation and yoga in countries like India and Sri Lanka and even places in in, in the, um, in the states India. um and different parts of the world now are taking it to prisons um to schools to you know rehabilitation centers and it's been 
the studies have shown that basically it's been so effective and have really helped people with yeah, well, someone deep, also, deep trauma. Interestingly, someone just sent me an article to show me the opposite too. Mm-hmm. That um, not on people that, that people that were meditating using the Calm apps and all these apps that have mm-hmm. hit the market, they end up getting psychological damage from them because mm. they weren't prepared for the there's no integration there was no no help, integration and no support. no support i think it's no really understanding important. that's correct yeah i i understand where you're coming from here because what's interesting is that my experience has been in monasteries where i would take myself away in places like thailand and china and bali and and did you, were, did you feel safe there i felt safe because i was held there was a container that I was in held by a master who's been living this way and has been working with different types of people coming into these pla- this place where um, people have had more trauma coming from war-torn countries to people who are coming from the West and, wealthy, you know, wealthy. wealthy trying um, to get a better purpose. Yeah, that's right. So they have... Uh, months and years and hours of understanding and experience and how to work with people and I've trusted them. Yeah. And did you ever see anything bad happen? I did. I did see Where people something. had to leave and go and get assistance? No, I, not not to that degree, okay. but I swore to my monk teacher I would not talk about it, but there was one person that I heard, I didn't see it, I was in my room and I heard someone um, screaming and yelling and couldn't leave, the, uh, had to leave the room. He was in the, I think he was doing his three day um, silent, um, non-sleeping to, retreat right, at that time. To handle it. And so what happened was I, I heard this person running around and- um, And you still stayed in? I stayed your meditation? in, I still stayed in my meditation and, um, and the teachers, uh, there was a group of elder, monk teachers that were supporting him and 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 held a space and i totally agree with you that it's really important to embark on you know these deep dives um but also to be surrounded by people who are experienced and also afterwards when you leave these kind of places is to be able to go back to where you came because you have to go home and 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 seek um and seek a, a support system so for me when i came back was actually uh, I found myself going to a Buddhist monastery, the same tradition down in Bundanoon, which is south of Sydney. And I also was going to weekly meditations at the Buddhist library in Camperdown in Sydney. And uh, I just needed to be around like-minded people. And so if any questions came up... And also to help with getting back to your physical plane because you have to it took me six yes exactly it took me six months to actually go i had to stay in north um sydney in a place called avalon palm beach before i integrated myself into the city again because i needed that time and then it was like you just said be able to integrate into the city again be in the material physical plane by being around these people on a weekly basis just to support me Yeah, because I hear a lot about people that, I mean, I can understand that you want to dissociate and escape from this physical plane sometimes when you see all the trauma, Mm -hmm. you see how people are treating each other. I can totally see why people want to do Mm -hmm. the escape route. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is about these traditions is that it's, it's... there's no point aspiring to being up there until you've actually mastered because when I spoke about the elements 
where it started from your feet. And so we, and, and, and the lower, uh, the coccyx, the tailbone, we know, we know that as the base chakra or base energy center. We have to work with what we're holding on to in those areas, those centers, before we aspire to actually going up high into yeah. the heart, into the crown and reaching the well, realms. Yeah, I heard a lot of people just bypassing all of that yes. and ending up in a lot of trouble. That's and this right. Gives, this brings us into a segue into a fantastic intersection for mm. us between neuroscience and spirituality and that's the use of psychedelics mm -hmm. because there's been a massive upswing in the use of psychedelics and and what that does, right, if you haven't done any of this work or understood what you've understood or what I understand um, and you just take these without any help or just for recreational purposes, then you're going to be opening your mind up without having resolved those other issues that are in the lower centers. Because the lower centers is, are relating to survival, so that we're talking about fear, we're talking about um, fear of money, fear of not having emotional loneliness. support, emotion, loneliness, anger, depression, self-loathing, jealousy. Worry about the future. Mm -hmm. I hear that's, they're the big that's ones. That's right. Yeah, and so, but I think I'm hearing because there there's just a huge upswing in people s doing this now, mm -hmm. and big research centres opening, and it's great to do the research, and they know that they're handling that ethically and really with a lot of care, mm -hmm. and they only prescribed the idea that that's got to be done under guided principles yes, yes. under FDA seeking approval yes but then people on the other side that are called psychonauts i don't know if you've heard about them but they're going to all the festivals and they're just bypassing all of that ah yes yes yeah and mm -hmm. then they're saying it's not addictive and mm -hmm. and they people are trying to do extended use um dmt which is mm. these experiences that explode your mind into mm -hmm. a space mm -hmm. um and I just want to riff a little bit about this because I think it's really important for people to understand what they don't know when they're mm -hmm. doing this to their mind mm -hmm. without any understanding. Mm. That's really that's really great to hear that because I, for myself, I've not embarked on that path of and taking psychedelics. I mean, you also, me either, but you've mentioned that a te your kind of long-term teachers mentioned that you shouldn't do that either. Yes, my, my long-term teacher actually mentioned to me as... Um, you know, I, what I do love about her is that for whom, where, and when, when she taught me about Ayurveda, it's all about for whom, where, and when. So it's um, just to go back to Ayurveda for quickly, what I mean by that is that, you see, I come from, I come from Asia. And so perhaps just on a day-to-day -day basis when my husband is actually making me a smoothie, um, he puts all these other, you know, supplements in there, um, spirulina and cordyceps and all those things, because I say to him, can you make it very simple for me? Because what's good for him isn't always good for me and for my system. So it's I take on that for whom, where, and when. And so my aptitude, as what she was saying, is that I don't need to do that because I've actually reached the places that these people are aspiring to reach, I've reached those places through these practices and, you know, deep diving deeply for months and doing these practices and these rituals, I've actually experienced personal physical healing as well as reaching those places yeah, as but well. But you are really grounded is what you're saying. And, and grounded, and, yes. And have integrated all of the trauma or all of the things in your life in a way that 
isn't for the first time being exploded by one experience That's is what right. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like you need to step into that in a way for some people because so what I know from a brain perspective, genetically we are susceptible to different things, right? Mm-hmm. So we can be susceptible to addictions. It yes. can be explained by our genes up to 60%. Mm. Um, schizophrenia, for example. Mm. And, and they're saying if you are going to experience psychedelics, you shouldn't have any schizophrenia in your background mm. or any of those kind of mm-hmm. illnesses. But how do you really know necessarily mm. if you're doing this at 19 years of age or 21? Mm. So. Anyway, these are just, mm. I'm, I'm just saying this because I think we need to have a bit more on the other side of the conversation. Yeah. A little bit because I feel like it's gone really far, far the, other the other direction other where people think they're safe and that nothing's going to happen because they're not That's addictive. Right. And I just want to put it out there that I've been listening to some podcasts where people have ended up going extremely into psychedelics where mm. they got addicted to the feeling of it mm. and then they started with one little thing and then they went to the next one the next one and the next one mm. and then longer and more and mm. more often and then up to daily use yeah wow yes and then end up in a psych ward obviously yeah. but um because they couldn't tell what was real anymore yes that's right so. i've actually heard um, because I live now um, in northern New South Wales, and I actually have heard that there are some people um, who have experienced that, and they're trying to really learn to ground themselves and come back into the real world in a way. Yeah. 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 Well, I just think that from a brain perspective, like yeah. I'm a, I study drug addiction and mm-hmm. how it changes the brain, both mm-hmm. the physical structure of the brain and the mm-hmm. chemical structure of the brain. And so it makes total sense to me, like even sugar, for example, we just showed as addictive as alcohol and nicotine. Mm. We showed it can change the brain and Mm. activate the nicotinic receptors in the brain the same way alcohol and nicotine does, right? Yes. So from my perspective, just looking in from the work that I was doing in California, at University of California, San Francisco, the guy upstairs from me was studying cocaine, for example. And Mm. in those experiments, they could show one injection changed the physical structure of the brain up to six months later, just one. Wow. So so you can see what I'm saying for me when I hear all of this and people are just really going extreme into this, um, not so much here in Australia, but but I don't know because I haven't really found out but over in California and other places for sure it's like this whole new Mm. world Mm. and I think it's just to relieve suffering and trauma to be honest or lack of purpose and not having to physically mend the soil anymore yeah or do the to do the work and what I mean by that is that it's an expression of what I've heard about you know um, my teachers have said is that in order to basically transform and release these traumas and fears and so forth is you have to do the work and, and and not just bypassing and trying to kind yeah, of do the you have easy to actually route. Feel it to yeah. heal it. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about that mm-hmm. too. Being able to sit with the discomfort. Yes. Because we want to run away and medicate that, mm-hmm. or we want to, and that's what the brain does, right? The amygdala has yes. three responses: you either freeze, <laughs> or you run away, yeah, or you hit someone. Yeah. <laughs> They're the three big responses, but, yeah. which is yeah. fa- fascinating to me because that's so old. Uh, you know, that's millions of years old. That structure. Yes. And um, but it does rule our lives a lot. Yeah. It's more than just that part of the brain, but that plays a huge role Mm. basically Uh, I just love it I just love hearing you explain from a scientific point of view it's um for me it's what you see in people (laughs) yeah what you see in people and and this is what I'm fascinated with and I'm wanting to acquire more of to just bridging what my experiences have been and what I've learned and and the science coming in and going okay so 
it's because of this and it's because of that, you know. So. Yeah, and also so we can educate kids now yeah. and teach. We talk a lot about this, um, that you aren't necessarily your brain, which sounds really weird. I mean, mm. from your perspective, you understand that from a yeah. traditional perspective, ancient wisdom perspective. Yes. But from even from a neuroscience perspective, all those memories are stored from generations mm-hmm. that we had no control over a lot of. Mm. And then we tie a lot up into our current situation that we wouldn't understand mm-hmm. may have come from places we didn't even have a clue about. I mean, some people call it past lives, but it really yeah. goes back to human before human life from an mm-hmm. evolution point of view. It comes goes back to, you know, like really early on mm. in time. Mm. <laughs> so Wow. Yeah. I could talk about um, a specific um, body work, and I can't remember the name of it now, but um, my my experience has been was that I would lie there and she would put her hands on certain parts of my body and in certain parts of my brain, actually, she would just place her fingers on specific points um, to bring balance and energy. And then at the end of it, she would basically do um, some kinesiology and then she would later explain to me, oh, you know, um, your experience of, of guilt, uh, let's just say what I remember is guilt, it came from the 14th century of my, my uh, ancestors and it came from then, it, it started then and it basically traveled through and that's how it's manifested within you through the generation. So I found that, that um, system quite fascinating yeah I can see that Mm. inside I mean now that I can analyze it so once I worked all of that out from an evolution point of view I just stopped analyzing Mm -hmm. because I figured I can't ever work it out Mm -hmm. it's not possible so the only thing I can do is the future which is Mm -hmm. that's where I get to the neuroplasticity concept of all you can change is your future exactly and there's you can go back and analyze as far as you like, but you never yeah. go. Un- you just—it's just not physically, yeah. mentally, spiritually possible to work it yeah. all out. That's right. I mean, it's good to work out when you've got these feelings, emotions, how to let them bypass you, and stuff like that. Like um, the Buddhists talk about yeah. a lot, and eighty-seven emotions that they can identify all of them. Yes, the ones that have meditated for forty thousand hours. Yes, you know they can sit back and just let them go. Which yeah. is pretty amazing, and they have identified something like eighty-two or eighty-seven different mm. types of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good, but but to actually try and pinpoint why is not really going to be possible at this point in no, our scientific and, journey. Yeah, and and also what I've learned is that if someone is at a you know the lower scale of the emotions, is start is down there in fear, excuse me, and anger and resentment. There's actually an emotional guidance set point as well as scale. So you can't expect someone to go from fear up to love and appreciation and joy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a it's a process. But also what I love about it, and I look at it from my point of view and my experience is how has that served me? Okay, then, then just, you know, continue to move up the scale yeah. and change my, what we call like, you'd say vibration or your frequency you know your energy yeah and do things that kind of help me yeah so what i would say what i like to teach people is that it's just the brain Mm -hmm. wiring that Mm -hmm. you've inherited that needs to be calmed down and retrained yeah first yeah and that's just where fear is Mm. it's processed in the amygdala it's wired to the nucleus accumbens and it's got a direct pathway to the prefrontal cortex and Mm. those things can be retrained Mm. and without that knowledge you're always going to be 
thinking that you're stuck in it forever yes. in some ways. That's just my perspective on the yes. science side of it. Yes. But that's one thing, knowledge. Two yeah. is actually being able to implement that knowledge and that's yes. a whole different ballgame yes. for everybody. Yes. <laughs> Everyone yeah. has different needs and strategies mm. and right, what you yeah. need and what resonated for you is completely different to someone that just needs to know the science and that's right. will, that will work for them or yes. someone else that needs something else that they resonate yeah. with, like the difference between Buddhism, Hinduism. That's right. The know? doorway, it's different. Really the doorways and pathways is different for each of us. Totally. So, mm. Yeah, and it's all good. That's yeah, what it's I beautiful. Think. Yeah. Oh, it's been so lovely chatting yes, with you. you too. <laughs> that was so unexpected. Yeah. Um, well, there's so much we could there's talk so about. There's so much. But let's mm. um, just maybe... What I want you to do now is give someone some of your beautiful, loving quote or energy out there. What would you like to say to people that's something that they could do today to make themselves vibrate at a higher level or feel better? I would like to, I would like to suggest to get into nature because when I come back to what we've been talking about is, you know, Tantra Buddhism, Tantra, it's about coming back to our connection within our body and our connection with nature. So what would because you do as an example I, when you're doing my, that? My example would be is to, to take your shoes off and go to the park or if you, know, you have a favorite place to go to, the mountains, the forest or something. The beach. It's the beach or just ground yourself. Take your shoes off and just ground yourself. Just stand and look out at what you're seeing and then just breathe deeply and imagine yourself that you're like a tree, an ancient tree, and that they say that the human body is like a tree. The feet are like the roots of your tree and you imagine that you are basically standing on the earth, which you are, and that your feet are reaching all the way down and you're imagining there are roots of your tree from your feet going all the way down, reaching all the way down to the middle of the earth, and you're not just going down, you're also going wide. And as you go wide, what you're doing is, if you're doing it at the beach and there are other people around, what I visualize is that my, my roots of my tree are also intertwining with other people's roots of their tree, and that brings such... Uh, contentment in my heart knowing that I'm actually coming back home to remembering that I'm a part of everyone and and then what I do with that is that I also then continue to breathe and bring myself back into my heart space as I feel myself grounded I feel my legs like the 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 the, the what is it? The, the base of the tree and then I go into my heart and then and the energy from my heart goes out into my arms like the branches of the tree and then I bring, really what I'm bringing is the energy of the earth going all the way up and up along my spine and then into the top of my head and from my head I'm reaching all the way up to the clouds way beyond the clouds into the cosmos sensing and feeling the, the stars and the planets and then I bring that energy back down into my heart centre and so that's what I would like you to actually do if you can this week and take that practice with you and just continue to breathe in and out through your nose if you are feeling stress breathe in through the nose and breathe out and sigh out through the mouth that's to detoxify to release to decompress if you want to breathe in and out through the nose that's relating to drawing more energy in towards you because you're feeling depleted you bring more energy in towards you 
And, and then I would sit down. I would just sit down or I would lie down and then just allow myself to be supported and surrender. We just use that beautiful word surrender because it's so hard for humans to surrender, to just completely let go and just allow yourself. We can, we can jump in the ocean and just lie on your back in the water and just surrender. And then you can really feel what surrender means and that just feeling, go back into that feeling state, the water against your skin and just your breathing, the heart pumping gently. If you're on the ground, on the earth, just do the same thing as well and just stay there as long as you like. Wow. <laughs> if people aren't relaxed after that, I don't know what will relax them. I'm not going to interrupt you with all yeah. the things I've learned about synapses in those plant roots. Yeah. Just to say you've got the most uh, beautiful energy. I feel really calm just Aww. from being here with you. Thank you. It's just <laughs> stunning. I learned a lot. I've learned a lot as well. And I it's just, just love so what funny. you do. Like Thank I've you. got goosebumps all over me at this second. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, obviously this was meant to be and in May at a retreat I was telling you I was in Italy mm. with my sister and we had never been away together since uh, we were children Yeah. and we got to stay in this little like monastery and we did this amazing retreat with Rich Roll and Julie Pyatt and at the end of that week I was telling you that I was told that I need to start uh, uh, thinking about the intersection between neuroscience and spirituality and I thought well that's really cool and then just to meet you so recently and you have such deep wisdom that I have none. Oh, <laughs> oh no you have. <laughs> Mine's different. No, um, you have. So thank you for helping people. Oh it's I, I feel it's my dharma it's my dharma means my calling my purpose my divine purpose and I um, I love it and I just uh you know, I'm running a retreat in Sri Lanka in, in November, um, November. What date in November? November 9th to the 19th. It's, it's a 10-day retreat. What's it called again? Um, basically, it's at the Barbaran Resorts. It's going to be... Is it called Jing Life? Uh, my, I run my business under Jing Life. And uh, it, what I'm doing is teaching people how to discover their true nature through yoga, Ayurveda, meditation, and essential more, oils. Um, places? I have Barberan Resorts at the moment because they've asked me to be their ambassador. Um, I will be running some retreats, um, planning to run a retreat in Australia, but I'm also talking to some people as well um, who are building resorts in Thailand and Spain. So um, in the near future, I'll be going so to those places as well. what date was it again well. in November? November 9th to the 19th. Oh. And, uh, and so... Yes, so it's at Barberin Resorts, B-A-R-B-E-R-Y-N Resorts. So you just go to barberinresorts.com. Sure, Resorts.com. So beautiful. I haven't been there. Yes, yet. the energy is meant to be. The energy is beautiful. Uh, their religion there is Buddhism, primarily Buddhism. They do have, um, they do have Catholicism and Islam there, but predominantly Buddhism. And so the energy, the people are just so gentle. And they say that Sri Lanka is the new Bali, or what Bali used to be 30 years ago. That's what so I mean. it's less busy and less populated that's the problem with Bali it's really it's got very so commercial it's that's really hard right. to even get down a street that's right yeah it's really I know it's really unfortunate I love Bali too um, but you can still find in Sri Lanka you can still find remote places where you can go into the jungle and stay in beautiful little huts and um, and have nowhere uh, no one around for you know long distances um, but this retreat basically is on the beach 
and uh, they have their own private beach. And what's so beautiful about this retreat is that beautiful balance between the two sciences, the two systems of yoga and Ayurveda, and you receive three hours of treatments a day to just help wow. reduce, pacify that that element of air and ether in all of us and ground us and down. And you're running this retreat. And I'm running the retreat with the doctors that are specialized in Ayurveda and the, the kitchens. It's all personalized with each individual's needs. Wow. Um, based on what you're going to eat during that program and the treatments, uh, the acupuncture, the massages and the herbs that's prescribed to you is individualized wow. and personalized. And also we should mention, because mm. we we're, yes. we're doing a retreat we in are. Noosa. We're, yes. <laughs> Both Gemma and I and Sheila and this amazing woman who I'm going to be interviewing who started this eco-friendly, beautiful place in Noosa yeah. for us to all share. So um, yeah, we're running a treat called Nourish on October the 26th if anyone's interested in coming you can go to um, where can you go I'll put it in the show notes yes <laughs> it's an invitation in only event yes. we only have a very small number of places yes. but we're going to be combining Gemma's amazing skill set that you've heard all through this podcast and a bit of neuroscience and with Sheelan's amazing nutritional background and cooking background yeah. all in this house it's where you're just going to leave seven hours that so you'll be amazing. immersed in you're going to feel so amazing it's such an amazing combination too right yeah it's it, it's a holistic whole combination nutrition mm. mind and body that's right yeah spirituality <laughs> yes of course <laughs> yeah anyway, I think coming we'll back home to self yes that's what we're doing yes yeah and thank you everyone for listening and thank you everyone we'll be doing this again because we, we didn't talk about anything much <laughs> compared to what we can be we didn't even touch multiple worlds no and I've quantum t- mechanics that's right anyway, thank we'll you do it Gemma. another time thank you so much selena thanks everyone for listening